Shooters, welcome back to another episode of the Shooters Touch podcast. With us today is Nate Oakland, head women's coach at Upper Iowa University. He is our first second time guest on the podcast. Uh, coach is going to talk about it. He's a little modest as far as his his network and uh, his ability to connect with people. It's one of uh, truly his best skills. And so it's always fun to, to talk with him, catch up, connect, um, hear some stories about what's going on, um, not only with his program and his area, but uh, the coaching community as a whole, because he seems to always kind of have his finger on the pulse as far as what's going on. And so we have a fun conversation. Um, if you if you missed the first time Coach was on, um, jump back to episode 26. You can get the backstory and kind of how he got into the game. Um, but hopefully we got some nuggets for you in this one. Remember, shoot or shoot. This episode of the Shooter's Touch is brought to you by Forged Athletics, your go-to spot for sports-specific trainers and athletes to get connected. Visit Forged Athletics at goforgedathletics.com and start improving your skills today. I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters. And I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. You really want the players to like you. Just make them better. If I want to keep playing this game, you know, as a job, I, I have to continue to get better at that. You have to figure out a way to carve out some value that you have that you can bring not only to your team but also your profession. It's really good information and I pick up little nuggets all the time. For me it's all about confidence man. You have to have confidence to be a shooter, to be uh, a basketball player in general and to have success. It's all about confidence. If they walk a mile in my shoes then they can ball like I do but my game different not the same with it. I travel now y'all just change pivot. Welcome back, shooters, to a very special podcast episode. Our first return guest from episode number 26, the head women's basketball coach at Upper Iowa University, Nate Oakland. Coach, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, guys. Uh, great to be back. I mean, I don't know if it's because it's, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing that, that I'm back on, but uh, looking forward to it and appreciate everything you guys are doing, uh, not only in the state, but uh, for just for the game of hoops. So I'm excited. Well, we're excited to have you on. Um, obviously, there's a reason that you're you're a repeat guest, and we we can't wait to can't wait to get into some of the topics here and chop it up and talk shop a little bit. As Adam mentioned, um, be a little bit different format than the first time. We won't do the backstory. You can go back and listen to episode 26 and kind of catch up on Coach Oakland's story and how he got to where he's at. It's a good one, and uh, there's some some fun adventure along that. So if you haven't listened to that, I would say go back and do it. Um, but Tonight we're going to get to some 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 new topics and talk a little bit about what you're doing now and 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 talk uh, specifically for some young coaching and some mentorship that I know that you you pride yourself on as well. But before we get to that, um, I know you're a big golfer. Ryder Cup. What did you think last three days? Just complete dominance from the United States. Oh man, it was phenomenal. Um, in a way, I wanted it to be closer just just to see the drama. Um, uh, I've been fortunate enough to beat a whistling straights and um, just can't imagine how electric it was. But, uh, you know, I turned on this morning, I got my boys up and we're watching it. And when Bryson drove the first green and made the Eagle putt, like it was all over. My, my boys lost interest. Um, it was kind of like, okay, I think that think they got this thing under control, but um, 
I was, I was, I told my wife, like next time it's back, we have to go. Um, she was loving the out, you know, all the outfits and all the chanting and all the drama. So yeah, it was awesome to see. Um, awesome to see the, you know, just the fans. I think, you know, watching a lot of golf and being around a lot of golf, you just don't get to have that uh, intense chanting and screaming and yelling. And um, so, no, it was fun to watch. I didn't get to watch a lot of it yesterday um, with some kids activities, but uh, always, always fun to watch a Ryder cup. And especially when USA dominates. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. As you mentioned, an event that I'm glad they pushed um, to this year because having it, no fans would not have been the same. It just, uh, would not have been the same experience for for us as the viewers or for the players. And so, um, yeah, really neat event. Uh, like you said, obviously, the, with the U.S. dominating, it maybe would have been nice to, to be a little more suspenseful today. But either way, we'll take it. Um, crazy enough to think it's crazy how often the Ryder Cup is actually in the upper Midwest, too. Um, you know, that's yeah, where- they were talking about that, how it was like, you know, it was in Medina. And I knew a bunch of people that were in Medina. And then it was in Hazeltine. And you knew a bunch of people were there. And yeah. Um, yeah, so it's in the Midwest, and honestly, I don't even know where the next one is going to be hosted. Maybe you guys do, but um, uh, Beth Page, I believe. Beth Page, Man. Yeah, I think that's where it is, actually. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's definitely a bucket list event. Um, obviously, mutual friend of our all of ours, old Coach Staggy up there at Warburg, he made his way up to some practice rounds. Um, yep. So between between his and your schedule, I don't know who's got uh, the more understanding wife. Uh, you guys seem to find yourself all over the place. <laughs> how, how many rounds of golf do you think you got in this summer? Well, we, you know, I've, I've been able to get enough in. I can tell you this. It, it wasn't as many as last year. Um, I went out today with my with my two youngest, um, you know, so I get to hit a few shots, but it's it's more about teaching them how to play and getting outside and. Uh, my wife is, you know, what, what, where it's really had an impact on me the last two years is my wife has got the bug, um, you know, and she was pretty athletic back in the day, but um, she is an addict. So for us That's to good. go be able to go out, yeah, our date nights now consist of nine holes and a quick dinner and then get home because our babysitting bill gets pretty expensive with five kids, but um, that's probably been the best thing. So I can't, uh, can't divulge how many rounds. Um, yeah. I don't need to get in trouble with anybody. Uh, <laughs> I always tell but, people, I say not enough. My wife says too much. Yeah, always. That's all I always. ever say. You can always, always play more. There's always time for more, but. Yeah. yeah. You know, no. but I was around Coach Mack and Coach Jake and guys like Justin Sell. He's at South Dakota State back in the day. And like they, a lot of their, you know, a lot of their fundraising and a lot of their business and a lot of the yeah. things got handled on the golf course. And that's what I tell my wife. And yep. like you said, she thinks it's too much, but I don't, I never think it's enough. Never enough. So, well, good. No, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. You got the two things going, you, you're, you've got your wife going and you got your kids going. So if, if it, you don't have the business excuse, then if you're with one of them and, uh, it seems to work. So absolutely. Well, good coach. Let's, let's jump into a little bit. Um, as far as upper Iowa and how things are going, you know, we touched on it. You're just kind of, uh, getting your feet wet, getting things going last time you're on the podcast, um, it's crazy to think that we've had a whole pandemic, um, in the middle now since getting you back on here and, and dealing with COVID. Um, and I guess let's start there because you guys had things a little bit different because most of your league is in Minnesota. And Correct. so as we all know, the timing of 
people coming back and how quickly they were able to respond impacted you guys um, quite a bit with Minnesota being a little bit later to the game than Iowa. And so uh, how, what'd you end up getting? You ended up getting 16 games in last year. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We got 16 in. Um, we didn't start till January. So we had, you know, uh, you know, I think that you guys can even attest to this being former college um, basketball athletes. Like our preseason was all first semester. Um, and then we took Christmas break and then we came back and we played 16 games. Um, we played the same team back to back nights, same place. Um, it was a grind. It was tough. Um, I told our, I told our team at the end of the year that how they dealt with it and how resilient they were kept me going. And that is the honest to God truth. Um, I was as mentally fatigued as I've ever been on March 1st. And uh, again, the testament was to our players who showed up every day. Um, our, our returning freshman of the year got hurt in game two. Um, so we had actually won our first conference road game in I don't know how many years at St. Cloud State, who is one of the best, if not the best programs in our league. And uh, she got hurt because it was COVID and we knew she was going to have her year back. We had surgery um, and it became another learning year for us. So we're really excited now. We are in a uh, much different place. The gym feels different. It sounds different. The energy is different. Um, and we've got a really, really hungry group that's really young. Um, but we knew when I first talked to you guys, we, we knew it was just going to take time to try to rebuild the roster and get, get the players in that we knew would be excited about what we are and who we are and where we want to go. Um, so I think 15 of our 17 players will be a freshman or sophomore eligibility wise this year. So, I mean, you know, I think we got the talent to start to compete. I know we have the depth to start to compete. It's just going to be riding the inconsistencies that you find with a younger roster. Um, yeah, but getting through COVID, man, I, I think I think for all these student athletes that got through it, if you can get through what we've all been through, man, they're they're going to be really successful in whatever venture they walk into. And that was, to me, the biggest message. And that was what I tried to reiterate to all of them. Um, you got through it, you know, and not a lot of people – um, got through it in the way they did and the manner they did and the professionalism they did and the toughness they did and what they've learned about themselves, I think is something that they should be able to take with them for the rest of their lives. I, I think uh, on all levels, obviously college kids all the way down to the elementary kids, I feel like the kids handled it way better than the adults all the way through. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's without, without question. And, and like you said, a big credit to those, to those girls just handling the school part of it. I mean, playing college basketball and going to school is already hard. Um, throw, throw a global pandemic on top of it doesn't make it any easier. And like you said, losing your best player, one of your best players early in the year and, and, and struggling to catch your footing the rest of the time too um, is, is also difficult. And so, so talk a little bit about that. You said that the, the girls kind of kept you going, kept you motivated along, obviously as a, as a coach and, you know, you guys, you know, struggling on the, on the last half of the year, um, you know, your, your league, you guys travel quite a bit, you're on the road, um, you know, really don't have any close games. It's either at your place or you're, or you're getting in the bus and you're going. And so, so how do you, how do you continue to build a program in which that, uh, you know, takes it kind of one step at a time and, and, and really buys into the process? Well, I mean, that's a really good question, Brian. I think, um, you know, year one for me coming in, I've been at some other places, obviously, and year one for me was just about changing perceptions. And we did that. You know, we hadn't won a conference game in almost three years. 
Um, and I, I don't know what the other, I know the other staff was working hard. I know they were doing their best. So it's not a knock on them, but I had to be me. And so that was year one. Like, how do we get not only our players, but how do we get our campus? How do we get our community? How do we get our state? How do we get our conference on board with, we're going to change some perceptions and we're going to actually make people believe that we could get it done at some point. Right. So then year two became, we needed to just prove that we belonged. Um, our league is the best division two league in the country. Um, you know, in my two years, there's been over a dozen division one transfers and not one of them have won player of the year in the league. So we got some serious talent. Um, on top of that, we have some, uh, I think the best coaches in the country. So year two became, we got to prove that we belong. Um, that was our mantra going in. That was our mantra going out and winning our first game, I think started to solidify that. Um, we never, we haven't yet, we still won't this year talk about wins and losses. Um, it's about how good can we be today? Can we be a little bit better than yesterday? And can we stack good days on top of good days? And this year, I'm confident that we're going to really start to compete. Now, what does that mean in terms of wins and losses and results? I don't know. Um, but I know that we, like I said, we've got a group that, um, has really started to believe in each other and started to fight for each other. Um, it's evident in the work that they put in, in the weight room in the last six months, it's evident. And, you know, we've, we are, we've been going six fifteen in the mornings, uh, this fall and that's early and that's tough. Um, but the energy that they have when they walk in, it's just different. So, yeah, I, I think that there are some major, major challenges that we faced. And if you can just continue to stay focused and it's cliche, but you know, everybody talks about the process, but if we can continue to just stay who we are, where we're at, and be our best version of ourselves today. Eventually, I know that the results are going to follow. So, well, I think too, and you kind of touched on it, is the first step is getting competitive in practice. And I know That's that huge. was that was something that you were up against and kind of trying to build your build your roster. And you're getting to that point where where I believe that you're starting to feel better with what's going on in practice. And obviously, we all know what you do in practice is going to translate out onto the onto the court. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, it's been a lot of fun this fall just to be able to go five on five and I don't have to, you know, my first year it was like, okay, this, this squad, the blue squad, you get, you were, you got twos and threes and you get five points for an offensive rebound and you get five points if the other team turns it over. Um, so we haven't had to try to manipulate the rules to make it competitive. It's just been first team to get two stops wins or first team where everybody scores on the floor wins or first team where we can get, the paint two paint touches wins you know um and we've been spending a lot more time in actual four and four or five and five competitive settings which i think is going to bode you know down the down the road you know to get the results we want um and and honestly the, the players love it more they get to play more and we're not just doing and as much fundamentals as we still need to do and we do we're not spending 45 minutes on pivot and passing you know yeah, which at that level, um, you know, it's time to to be focusing on the things that you guys need to focus on, be able to touch on those things briefly and move on. Um, like you said, you can't devote 45 minutes of your practice to a – Not every day. Not right. every day. You know, maybe right. maybe down uh, uh, at the eighth grade level. But um, right. so you, you talked about getting talent and, and you've, you've started to get talent and obviously going through your roster and kind of knowing a little bit of where you're at. 
um, you guys have been working your tails off out there getting some of these kids and even pulling quite a few girls from the Minnesota area, which a lot of your league, uh, like we said, is, is based around. And so um, what can you attest to that as far as being able to go out and recruit and, and start to bring in some, some, some higher level? Well, one, I've been, I've been fortunate to have some good young coaches around me. Um, you know, they're out working hard and they're calling people and they're staying connected with players and coaches and parents. And um, so that's number one. you got to have good people around you. So we're, we've been really fortunate for that. Um, but two, I, I think we have a niche. Um, and I didn't really know coming in what that was going to be. You know, when I looked at Brooks's roster, our men's team. I looked at our volleyball roster, who's been, you know, they've been really good the last few years. I looked at wrestling, who's top 10 parentally, you know, nationally every year. Um, you know, and what they've done is they found what their niche is. And, you know, we get knocked on being a small town and we get knocked on not having a grocery store. We get knocked on those things. But what I've really done is just not hide behind those things. And a lot of people love that. Um, you can honestly say we're the safest campus in America, right? Um, and moms and dads love to hear that. Uh, but what, what we've really found is our niche and our niche is somebody that's not afraid of a small town, somebody that loves the fact that we are a athletic, crazy campus. Um, we got a lot of student athletes on campus who support each other. Um, we're not a campus where, you know, it's different. Like if you want to go have a good time, you can go to the Pet Mall at Iowa City. Right. I mean, I know you both have been there um, or V, you know, I know we, you know, we cross past the OP on the hill many times. Um, that's not really our campus, not saying that they can't have fun and be college kids, but so our niche is those, is those types of people that aren't afraid of a small town. But then our other niche is what I've really found are players that have a chip on their shoulder. And you know, our point guard's a great example. Um, she's from Elk River, Minnesota. Um, she was a little shorter than her sister who plays at Bradley and has had an outstanding career and helped turn that program around. And she just didn't get any division one um, recruiting opportunities you know to go to the next level and um man she plays with a chip on her shoulder and with a fire in her belly like nobody i've seen so um that's really what's helped us have a good staff figure out your niches and then find those individuals and um for whatever reason you know we're still a little bit behind where i want to be in iowa and i get it because we've struggled uh, but i do believe once we start winning games and competing in our league you know, I think we're really going to be able to take off, especially with the Iowa kid. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And we've talked, you and I have talked, and we've talked on this pod a lot too, the huge talent, obviously, in the state of Iowa, um, you know, and credit to these clubs in which that are providing opportunity for these girls to play and to play at a high level. And so, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of really good girls running around the state and um, it looks, it looks, I mean, you guys got a few of them though. It looks your roster going through. It looks almost 50, 50 split between some Minnesota and Iowa kids though. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, you look at the, the, the girls AU in the state of Iowa and the state of the Minnesota, um, is honestly the best in the country. Um, the two sophomores or whatever year they will be, you know, you got Caitlin Clark at Iowa and you got Paige Beckers at UConn. I mean, those two players were within three hours of our campus. Um, and that's a testament to not only the AU programs, but you got some really, really good Iowa high school coaches that, that don't get paid a lot, that spend many, many hours on scene, um, that develop and coach these kids. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, that's what really excites me about our opportunities here and our job here is that, um, you know, when you win the water tastes better, but when you win, that's also becoming your biggest recruiting tool. So I think that's the last piece. 
we could start to chip away this year and show some people that we're actually going to start to, to compete. Um, we got a lot to sell as long as they fit what our niche is, which is that small town chip on my shoulder, blue collar, you know, tough, tough kids. So it's exciting. And, and, and now that we know what we are. Yeah, that's always, we kind of feel like we're talking a little bit about our podcast on before we got on and you got to <laughs> yeah. kind of have a little bit of a path and a vision and know, and um, sometimes you take some lumps when you're trying to figure it out, but uh, it helps having an Alvin on staff that'll drive anywhere too and talk with these kids and keep these relationships. You, I mean, you mentioned it, um, having a good staff is, is, is huge. Um, but that's, that's no easy task either. I mean, that's something that obviously you got to go and work out and you got to essentially sell the same, the same mission, um, to them as well. Uh, you know, when it comes to coming to Fayette and so, so what that's, what, what has that been like for you? And I, I know you're, you're a fan of Elvin and continuing to work with your staff. And, uh, you, I think you filled a few pieces this off season too, didn't you? Yeah. You know, Alvin, um, I first met Alvin when we were up at North Dakota state and, the, the, the first thing that jumped out is at me about Alvin was just a relentless work ethic. And, um, you know, at the time he was trying to pay his way through college and he was working at a different job and he'd show up at that job when we got off the road. And so that was the first thing. But the second thing is um, he's just got a, he's got an incredible ability to just connect with people. And I think number one is because he's a phenomenal listener. Um, and then the second thing is he's very loyal and he's very honest and something that we talk a lot about with our recruits and our team is we're not going to apologize for telling the truth. And that's Alvin. So, um, he works, he's connected. He knows a lot of people. He knows a lot of people in Minnesota, um, where I maybe don't know as many people. So that, that, you know, that checks out all those boxes. Um, and then we hired a GA who I treat as a full-time assistant. Um, Christina Karp is her name. And she was at Towson university, um, has a phenomenal basketball story. You know, someday down the road, you guys are going to have her on. Um, but she was on the uh, Ukrainian national team, was highly touted division one recruit. She's six foot seven, uh, very skilled. She had a bunch of D1 offers. She ends up at Towson and they, in her physical, they found out she had Mar fans and they weren't, you know, their insurance was not going to let her play. She decided she wanted to be a college coach. She stayed, she graduated early. She was doing a lot of stuff for them in the office and um, skill development wise. So we're really lucky. Um, through a connection at Towson I've had. Um, we've been really lucky to have her um, just versatile. Obviously can work with Post. She's 6'7", but she was really skilled. So she's also teaching us some other things out on the perimeter and um, even down to doing some yoga. You know, like she's a certified yoga instructor, which is also fascinating. So, yeah, we're really lucky. Um, hiring is one of the toughest things, I think, for all head coaches. Um, you know, my number one job, as I've told both of them is, and the other assistants I've had is to help them find their next best spot. And, you know, my, my number one fear, but also my number one, um, probably, um, strength is going to help them is how can I get them to where they want to get? And I don't think either of them will be with us for very long. So you always got to have a short list and you always got to know that that's the best thing for them. And you're going to be happy when they get to go take that next step whether it's to the highest level or being head coach um both of them are are well 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 ahead of where I was at at their age it's it's that way in coaching as well as I feel like in the professional world too you always talk about well you know we're gonna we're gonna train these people and we're gonna get them you know really good at their craft or whatever it is and then they're gonna leave 
um, which should be the mission because the alternative is, okay, we're not going to train them and then they stay, you know? And so, uh, and you don't want that either. So it's something where it's like, yeah, we're going to continue to, to help them improve. But uh, you, you touched on it a little bit. How, how it, I mean, it sounds, it sounds stupid, but like how easy or difficult is it to hire people or have people on your staff that are good at the things in which that maybe you're not as good or you're deficient at? Um, like I said, I mean, I think it sounds simple, but I don't think as many coaches do it as probably should. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a question that um, I had a really good chat with a really good D2 coach about a month ago, and she um, had lost both her assistants to better opportunities. And it was right before school started. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you need to find people that compliment you. You need to find people that do the things that you don't do. You need to find people that are about the kids, um, that are about developing them and pouring into them. Um, but there's times I think, I think, especially at a smaller level, you know, uh, let's be real. A lot of these D2 jobs is not everybody's destination. And it's not the first thing when you decide you want to be a college coach, you don't say, man, I want to end up at upper Iowa, <laughs> you know? Um, so having a little bit of a sense of reality of where we're all at, um, it makes it hard, but what it does make is I think it makes a great opportunity for people to get their start and you get to put your feet on the ground and you get to really grind and you get to not just be pigeonholed into being a director of basketball operations or being a skill development coach or just being a recruiter. And that's something that I've tried to really implore to both Alvin and Christina is like, you, you got to have your hands in every facet of this program. Um, but it is, I, it's the one thing when I became a head coach, um, whether it was college golf or college basketball that nobody really prepares you for is hiring is going through the process of vetting these people and then asking them the tough questions. And whether you're sitting down with them and having a coffee or a beer, or you're sitting across in a desk and, and you got a suit and tie on, like hiring is the most important thing that you do when you're a leader. Um, so I, I don't know if I've been good at it, but it's something that uh, I know I'm going to have to be able to improve and, um, and always trying to pick brains of not only people in the, in the athletics world, but like you mentioned, people in the business world. I mean, that's something that you got to be really, really good at if you're going to be good at what you're doing. Yeah. And I guess staying on that, on that wavelength here, coach, you know, what would you, you've obviously had a, um, obviously several different jobs here before upper Iowa. What uh, are one or two things that you would say to a young, maybe in air quotes, motivated coach, um, if he or she was, you know, at their first role, a GA assistant coach, um, and he or she wanted to move, move up in the coaching ranks, what would you say to that coach? Oh man. I think number one is you got to be okay with and accept the fact that you and everybody around you has to do the bottom filler BS, right? I think the hardest thing for a lot of younger coaches is they don't want to do the laundry. They don't want to just rebound. They don't want to work with the worst, the so-called worst player on the roster, who's probably the most important. Um, so you got to be really, really good at the bottom filler BS. Um, this is a PG rated podcast, right? Like I can't say the real words. Um, oh, you, can, you can do whatever you want. Because <laughs> um, the reality is like myself as a head coach, like I still have to do those things and that's part of the job, you know? Um, so I think that's number one. Um, you can't have an ego about yourself and, I think that that's hard because a lot of initial young college, you know, want to be coaches or 
even young high school coaches that have those aspirations, they were probably a good athlete or they were probably really good at something they did. And now you go to the bottom rung of the totem pole. So to me, that's number one. Um, then number two, you got to be really loyal. Um, you got to be loyal to people around you. You got to be loyal to your family. You got to be loyal to your friends. Um, and, and then I think that that helps you stay connected to like what your passion is and what your, you know, there's some mentors that I have that have talked about like what, what's your fire, what's your burn. Um, Cause it gets really hard. Um, you know, if I didn't have a family that was my burn, like that connected me to showing up every day, even when days have gotten really hard. And I tell you, man, the last couple of years have been hard. Um, but if I wasn't connected to that, connected to what my vision is connected to what my passion is connected to what really drives me, it would have been a lot easier to give in. Right. Um, so how can you find people that have something bigger, like a bigger picture vision of, you know, this is what I want to be. And this is why, um, to me, those are the most important things I, mean, I don't even care. Like I've told Alvin, yeah, I'm going to teach you about X's and O's, but at the end of the day, that's the least, you know, that, 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 that stuff will happen eventually. Um, so I, I don't know if I really answered you, but that's yeah. to me is what I've, what I've really tried to talk to a lot of young coaches about is staying connected to those values and those things that are really, really important. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something there too, that, you know, I've, I've spent uh, almost 11 years as a recruiter or in talent acquisition. And, you know, I've, I've talked to many athletes who are getting ready to graduate, getting ready to find that job. Um, and a lot of just maybe by, I'm, I guess maybe just because they've been involved in that um, as, an, as an athlete for so long, I guess coaching is on a lot of their minds. You know, hey, I might want to be a coach. And my first question is, you know, hey, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to do that? And they are, you know, those bottom rung things that you need to do. Right. And a lot of them say, oh, I just, I, I don't know if I'd like to do that. And I, I always say, I know you don't like to do it, but will you do it? Because if you will do it, then you may have a shot at this. But if you don't want to do it and you won't do it, you don't have a shot to be a coach. Like you're never going to make it. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So true. That's, that's uh, you know, one aspect of coaching that um, I'm happy you mentioned that, uh, you know, it, you, you have to be willing to do what you kind of don't want to do to start off. And, and, you know, I mentioned that bottom rung, maybe start off on that bottom rung and, you know, maybe have to take a couple lumps, take a couple punches in the face and uh, you know, kind of move up there. Right. I mean, even this summer, we, you know, we, uh, we, we did our players did a phenomenal job of raising some money and we made our locker room big time and we flipped it. And, you know, but I found myself in the middle of July trying to in between recruiting trips, you know, replacing carpet squares and painting walls and, you know, <laughs> throwing, throwing some old stuff out and bringing some new stuff in and trying to figure out how do I, how do I screw the lockers and the other side of our, of our, you know, we got a decent setup. Uh, it's actually a really good setup. And, how do I screw these lockers into a concrete wall? Like, I don't know, you know, but I got to figure it out. So yeah, to your point, it's, you just got to be willing to do just about anything. And it's all, it's all for the players and it's all for their experience and it's all for them to feel valued and know that the time and effort they're putting in is worth it. And if, if it's about that, you'll do just about anything. Right. Coach, right. you don't, you don't strike me as the most handy guy in the world either. <laughs> well, I'm sitting outside and my wife and I built this like 12, by eight foot fence this summer and she dubbed me chip gain so that's oh, the most that's the most handy thing right. i've ever done so you're right you're right wow. i don't I, I don't i can barely you know if i mow the if i mow my backyard in straight lines i consider that a win 
I can probably raise my hand for the, the least handy in here though. So <laughs> yes, coach, you got second place. Um, yeah. Uh, I, we probably both know the answer, but um, how big, how big is your network um, in coaching, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, on a Friday night, you need to get a tape of another team or whether it be that, that coach trying, trying to move up. Um, how big is, how big is your network in that? And then maybe the, I guess, question behind that, what are a couple of stories about, um, you know, how you utilize your network to maybe make a move um, from school to school, uh, from assistant to head coach? Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, great insight. Great question. I think, um, so number one, as I've gotten older and as I'm maybe in some different roles, my network has actually gotten smaller. Um, and I think mostly, you know, my network is different. Um, I, I don't have, you know, I've got a few really tight friends that are on the other side, you know, on the men's side, whether it's a D1 or NBA. Um, and I don't know why that is. Um, but those are the people that I call, you know, when I'm struggling or those people I call when I have, you know, more in-depth questions or family questions or program questions. Um, but it's definitely gotten smaller. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have the time maybe, you know, I got five young kids and I've got a busy wife and, um, I'm really blessed in, in the, both those areas. So I don't maybe have the time to continue to connect like I did in the past, but I also don't have time for the BS like I did in the past. You know, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I feel like it's better. Um, I feel like I'm more grounded because of that. I feel like I also, because of that, I got more loyal, um, coaching friends slash family that are going to be there when it's hard and be there when it's good and tell me when I'm wrong and tell me when I'm right. So, um, again, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, that's a great question. Um, but it's definitely gotten smaller. That's the honest truth. Um, and then the second question was, sorry, I, I blanked. What, um, what are a couple of stories about how you have utilized that network? Um, oh yeah. A couple there, but, but, uh, I guess maybe specifically in making a move from school to school, making a move from assistant to head, um, or yeah. moving up. So, you know, I, I, I was in the Iowa old Iowa conference. Um, and when I left UNI as an assistant, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I worked for two of the best coaches around. It was Tony D and Tanya and they're both hall of famers. I mean, Tanya Warren, and let's be real. Like, I mean, she is a, she's not only a UNI hall of famer, she's a Valley hall of famer. I mean, she's, uh, you could argue she's one of the best coaches, especially with what she's done at UNI in the last 15 years. Um, you know, so I worked for two phenomenal coaches and I was just at a point in my family life where it was like, man, I got young kids. I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So I left there and I had no idea what, um, I ended up at Co college and only because of a high school friend who is a phenomenal coach as well. And if, I don't know if you guys have had Randy Henderson on the pod, but you need to, we um, US, but not Randy yet. Oh man. I mean, she's like, she's like my long lost sister, man. She's, phenomenal and she's been through a lot in the last few years um but anyway so I ended up at Co and I was at Co and a full-time job came open at Warburg and the only reason that <laughs> that I ended up at Warburg is because we made the NCAA tournament and the national regional rep that year was the Warburg head coach Bob Amsbury who is also phenomenal I mean he's one of the best coaches in America I mean elite eights and final fours and you know, so the job came open and 
Coe and Warburg hate each other still to this day. Like they played football yesterday and I'm sure it was a bloodbath. Um, you know, so that was where Randy was like, man, I don't want you to go to Warburg, but that's a great fit. It's a full-time job. You get to teach. That's what your master's was in. You know, so that was one area where I, I still, you know, Randy and Bob and Tanya and Tony, and like they're all mentors of mine. And, you know, it's just funny how that two to three year span of my life was so instrumental in shaping everything about where I went um, for no reason other than timing. Um, the second one is, you know, so I'm a head coach at Co. Eventually I go back to Co. <laughs> um, it's funny how that all worked out, but I go back to Co. and um, I get a call from Randy, um, whose friend was the head coach at the time at North Dakota State, but the senior women's administrator at North Dakota State was a former UNI assistant before I got there. I actually recruited my wife to UNI. Um, her name is Colleen Heimstead, and she's a phenomenal administrator, was a phenomenal coach. Um, well, one of my good friends, Ben Nemers, um, had played at North Dakota State, so I had that connection. The head football coach at the time was a guy named Chris Kleiman, um, who, when I was at UNI, was a was the co-defensive coordinator at UNI on the football staff with a guy named Scott Frost, who everybody knows who he is. Um, you know, so I'm like, man, yeah, I know North Dakota State and they're killing and everything. And, you know, so again, it was at that time in my life, my circle was a lot bigger. Um, my network was a lot bigger. Um, and they said, hey, we just want, they're trying to find an assistant to help that program who'd been a college head coach. Are you interested? And I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to leave, but it's North Dakota state and it's Fargo and it's great. And my wife's like, Hey, we got to go. Um, and I ended up turning it down initially, but then went back and luckily they still hadn't filled it. So, um, yeah, you just don't know, man. That's what I tell a lot of coaches. Like it's, um, it's all about timing and you have no control over that. Um, and I think that my nonlinear coaching path is because of timing and, um, you know, you, you can network and you can talk, but if you can control, you can, which is just work your butt off and be a great person and be good to those around you, be especially be good to those that help you. Good things are going to happen. I, th I think it, uh, it's interesting. You talk about when you first got to co and it wasn't a full-time position. Um, you know, you very easily could have gave a half-assed attempt while there, um, you know, but now all of a sudden you, you, obviously you don't, you put in the work and how much of a reach then Randy end up having, um, you know, because you showed up ready to go where, yeah, you know, it could be very easy to just kind of just show up and, and go through the motions and be waiting for that next big job, um, or that next full-time job. And it may never come because like you said, now all of a sudden, you know, how, how you do one thing is kind of how you do all things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, she, her story, um, Man, I don't, you guys got to get her on. That's all I got to tell you. Her story is phenomenal. Her, her passion is phenomenal. Her adversity and how to get through it. I mean, I've never met somebody like that. And she really motivated me to A, A, be all in, right? Like, like what you said, like how you do anything is how you do everything. And how you do everything is how you do anything. And, and then she also really motivated me to just be who I was, you know? And I think sometimes as a young professional, whether it's a coach or whatever, you always try to be somebody you're not. And that really, that really helped me be more confident and comfortable in my own skin that I am different and I piss people off and I rub people the wrong way. And sometimes they don't get it, but, um, so yeah, anyway, you got to get her on. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, 
No pressure, but I think yeah. you just made the list. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you you mentioned it a little bit or referenced it here a little bit, Coach. But um, how how did you how did you form your identity as a coach? You know, whether that be in the offensive end. You know, obviously you you mentioned you coached under some great coaches, uh, coached with some great coaches. Um, I'm assuming you pulled a little bit from everybody. Um, was there one or two coaches that, you know, maybe on the offensive end kind of uh, as a mentor or maybe influenced you a little bit more and on the defensive end as well? Yeah, that, that's a, I mean, we could, we could do a whole different episode about that probably. Um, as I've gotten older, I've tried to really be um, more meticulous about what it is that I have been experienced to or have knowledge of and how does it really fit who I'm around? I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but trying to, um, trying to make it fit for who we have, um, defensively. Yeah. Defensively, you know, I think that, um, it was kind of the way I was raised. It's kind of who I am as a person is that I was always the one who was told I wasn't good enough. I was always the one who was told I shouldn't do this. I was the one who was told I probably not college material for not only sports but athletic or but for academics and in a way they were probably right um but that's why we kind of are always going to be man-to-man like we're always going to just lock try to lock people down and take it personally that we are in our league we're the redheaded stepchild which is that's what I was you know um offensively I think is where I've really evolved and changed the most and a lot of it's credited you know to a mentor of mine who spent time um on the men's side um, both at Iowa State and in the NBA and now at another Big Ten school, um, you know, just really learning how they organize and how they structure their terminology and how they space the floor and how they make it really simple for their guys to recall instead of remember plays. Um, you know, and I think the game has really changed. And we talked about this, I think, when I was on a few years ago, but the, the game has really changed to where it's more of pace and space, you know, and that's what's sexy. Everybody wants to watch that. All the players want to play it. Coaches want to coach. But what does that really mean? Um, you got to be able to put your best players in the best position to be most confident, most confident, most comfortable. And um, how do you put them in scenarios where you can take advantage of either, whether it's space or mismatch or whatever? Um, you know, so in terms of specific coaches, yeah, I look at guys like Hoiberg and I look at um, like Quinn Snyder in the NBA. He's somebody I've learned a lot from. Um, and there's actually some real simple things that he does that I think are very relevant to the women's game. Um, uh, but honestly, all that, when you encompassing the whole thing, I think that the most impact on me um, has been Bill Fenley. And I probably shouldn't, you know, I probably never told him that. Um, but just how he really approaches the game, how he approaches family, how he approaches recruiting. You know, you look at his staff and they're loyal. You look at the people around him and they're loyal and you look at, we're going to be tougher. And yeah, how does big, you know, how does Iowa state women consistently, consistently win in the big 12, which is the best league in, in the country. Um, you know, so you try to pull, right. And you try not to be them, but then you try to make it who you are. And um, so we could, we could give names, we could talk offense, we could talk defense. I mean, um, but there's also some people that, that, you know, I've got a really good friend that was a high school coach and then spent eight years at UNI as an assistant. And I think he's one of the best basketball minds around. So I'm constantly pulling ideas from him. Um, I think there's some really good high school coaches in Eastern Iowa and I'm constantly talking to them. I talked to one last week about, okay, you ran this diamond in one, like, give me your rotations. How did you prep for what you, what, you know, what challenges do you have? How, how did you practice it? Stuff like that. So, man, you just like, 
my, my job is 5% basketball, but, um, that's the stuff I really geek out on. So, uh, we could go on and on. I think I've given you the longest answer in the history of the podcast, but, um, uh, oh, definitely, definitely not that, but, uh, that, I mean, to, to your point, it's always evolving. And that's something that I think, you know, you've talked about a lot of jobs and duties that you have as a coach, but I think that that's number one for every coach is to continue to evolve and, and learn and find new and different and better ways. Um, but to your point too, you got to, there's got to come a point too, where you kind of stick to your identity. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that most you see a lot of times with young coaches is they have a little bit of that imposter syndrome and that they're kind of trying to, you know, either act just like they're a high school coach or you know, act right. like who they watch on TV. And I mean, it is a bob and weave and a, a, a meshing to try to find, you know, what take, take the information in which that you've been exposed to. Um, right. Because ultimately you, you got to feel comfortable in what you're doing you know, one way or another, like if, if you're not a yeller standing on the sidelines yelling all the time, the players are going to see right through it. And so I feel like sometimes it's tough to find that. And I think ultimately, and you kind of talked about a perspective and maturity is kind of the two big things that you just kind of, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. You know, what's comfortable. And that's really kind of what starts to drive you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember my first year as a head high school coach and I was a lot younger and I, at the time it was like, you know, this is a while back, but John Gruden is one of my heroes. Right. And I, you know, I, I was wearing a black mock turtleneck to games and I, and, but then also, you know, Larry Stacey was at Iowa state and like, I think he's the best defensive coach and toughness coach ever, you know? So I'm like, there'd be moments when I'm like, John Gruden met Larry Stacey in a back hallway. And that was not good. That was not good. Uh, to the point where I, I didn't see the end of a, of a couple games, my first year as a high school coach. I mean, so, uh, sometimes you got to learn some of those lessons the hard way. And I, you know, I still regret those moments to the, to this day, just to, to your point. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Is it, I think the other thing too, that is funny, um, from a coaching standpoint, um, you know, obviously on this podcast, we don't, we don't like to talk a lot about defense because Adam and I didn't play a ton of it, <laughs> Yeah, none. but, no. um, but at the same time, from a coaching standpoint, I love coaching defense. I mean, it is something like you said, like you can just establish a little bit of toughness and there's just so much fire and energy that can go into it. Uh, I mean, we're going to, we're going to get down and, and do some, it's plenty of shooting drills and so we're going to get tons of shots up, but we also, we're going to do a little defense and finding that, finding that blend. And like you said, even if it's, if you know it's something that you're maybe not comfortable with, but you're exposed to it, like continue to grow, continue to foster that. And I, I think it's only going to con- continue to make you more of a well-rounded coach. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, well, coach, Hey, you know, we appreciate it. One other thing. So I, I, your, uh, your wife, and we've talked about her several on this podcast, but she's also come up in previous podcasts um, in, in her day job in the facility uh, in which that she runs in, in Cedar Falls. Let's just touch on that real brief before we get you out of here. How big and awesome is that for that community there in Cedar Falls to be able to have uh, the shiny new facility to be able to host camps? Um, obviously, that's, I think, where it came up on the pod. AJ Green was talking about his camp uh, when he was on with us. And, and yeah. so, so tell us just a little bit about, or the listeners a little bit about that and um, what is it she does and, and the kind of the opportunities that you guys have there. Yeah, well, I mean, one, I don't know how many people know, but she was, you know, she was she's in the Hall of Fame. She's one of the toughest, toughest players, I think, to ever go through UNI and, um, you know, really help to build that program and solidify them as a as a legit program, especially in the Valley. 
um, you know, so she's got that toughness. She's got to deal with me, which means you're tough. She's got five kids under the age of 12, which means you're really tough. Um, yeah, there's some stories that I would tell not on the podcast about, you know, some of our experiences in, in childbirth and things like that, then you'd really, really know how tough she is. But, um, no, the gym is a, you know, the vision of the gym in our area, I think is, um, was spot on. Um, the location is perfect. Um, the setup is great. Um, you know, and we've got some really good AAU programs in this corner of the state, you know, like, and you look at attack and what they've done, um, should be an ESPN 30 for 30, honestly. Yeah. Um, but up here, the opportunities just aren't, aren't there. And we've got a community in, in Waterloo Cedar Falls, which is almost a hundred thousand people. Um, you know, a lot of people have tried in Cedar Rapids and Iowa city, and I think that they're doing the right things. Um, you know, but I was talking to a recruit not that long ago from Decorah and it's like, where do you go? Um, so that's been huge. Um, and, and on top of that, we've got one of the best volleyball programs in the nation in town, um, six pack volleyball. Um, so there's opportunity, there's a need. And when those two things come together, um, it's going to be success. So she's, she's done an unbelievable job, you know, trying to marriage, um, what that really looks like. Um, there's some, there's some local mom, pa teams, there's youth teams, there's AU teams, there's high school teams that need it. Um, there's a lot of volleyball around it. And I think our state is probably one of the best in, in the country in volleyball. Um, so it's just great. It's exciting. Uh, the biggest challenge she has right now is that they're running out of space. Um, so um, she works, you know, it's not really a nine to five job, right? It's not like she'd go in the office, sit down and check the clock and then, okay, it's dinner time. Um, you know, there's some, a lot of nights, a lot of weekends, a lot of practices, a lot of tournaments. Um, and I just really think that the nature of youth sport, um, in our country, which I'm not always a big fan of, um, but the nature of youth sport and everything going on, um, it's just the way it is, you know, you and I've talked a lot, Claude, about how Des Moines is really starting to figure that out. Um, they got the new facility opening down there. Um, you know, I, the, the, the crazy thing is when you get into like, you know, Minneapolis and those areas, they still utilize high schools. Um, they still utilize elementaries, um, without air conditioning, which is brutal to go to when you're recruiting in the summer in July. But, um, so yeah, it's been fun to see her kind of take that and run with it. It's been really fun to see this community utilizing that space. Um, you know, it gets cold here. She's going to have 150 pickleballers in there. Um, most mornings playing pickleball, most of them are over the age of 60, which is awesome. Um, like I mentioned the mom's club nine to noon, so they come in after pickleball. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. And I think that there's a lot of communities that, uh, the people, you know, some certain people around here had the vision and they jumped in and they did it. And it's just, it's, uh, it's fascinating to watch it grow literally day by day. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say reach out if, if you need some gym space in the Cedar Valley, but I know you guys are pretty well, <laughs> pretty, well <laughs> yeah. pretty well booked, which is a good yeah. thing. So, I mean, if you need some in April or May, that's, there, that's where we're at. So there, there you go. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. So, yep. all right. Well, uh, we, we've done rapid fire with you before, but before uh, I get you out of here, Adam and I come to town, check out the facility, head to Fayette. Um, you know, we're, we're well-versed in the Cedar Falls, but uh, are we going to Peppers or Mulligans to eat? Well, we got to go to Mulligans. I mean, the, you know, when, when I, when I was in college, wrapping up college, I 
I was fortunate enough to work for a great guy by the name of Dave Morgan, who now runs single speed. Um, if you haven't tried any single speed um, brews, they're the best. Um, so I will always, always have a, uh, a soft spot for Mulligan. So I, uh, I think you and I might be going to Mulligan's and uh, Adam yeah. and Lenzer might be heading up to yeah. get, uh, there, get some peppers, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, Lenzer will never be swayed. I mean, the chicken and fries basket, like that oh. dude would eat that seven days a week, three yeah. times a day if he could. I'm cool hanging out with him then, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good one to hang out with. That's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. but well, all right, that does it. Second, uh, first, first, second time guest on the pod. Um, Coach, we appreciate you taking some time. As always, we uh, appreciate your knowledge and um, sharing some stories and some insight with us. And, uh, we're watching, man. We're following along the Peacocks. We're going to be anxious to see, um, obviously, Brooks and your program as well, what you guys are able to do this winter with a full season, um, a full preseason, maybe even more importantly. Um, and so best of luck with everything this winter. Yeah, I'm honored, man. And I'll say this to you guys and anybody that even – the few people that listen. Um, you know, I think you guys are growing a, a, a good, good base here. But anybody that wants to come watch us practice – um, any, especially our men's program. I know Brooks would say the same. Anybody that wants to sneak in for a practice or come in for a game or whatever, you just email us, just reach out. Um, I think it's one of the most underutilized things that high school coaches, AU coaches, young kids, young families, if you just reach out, we'll let you in. I mean, our doors are open. Um, I'm looking forward to the next week heading out to some, uh, some of the D1 practices and D1, um, you know, some of their closed doors that they call closed door stuff. Um, people are willing, you know, they're willing to open their doors for you if you just reach out and ask. So anybody wants to come up to practice or game, let us know. Um, other than that, really appreciate being back on first, first, second time guest. That's got to be worth another uh, shooter's touch t-shirt, I'm assuming. So on the way. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks guys. More big time now, coach. Thanks for your time. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it.